You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Pentecost Sunday. So, imagine a year when the church didn't celebrate Christmas and Easter. I think we'd all agree that Christmas and Easter really are central to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian and belong to a church. So how would we feel if we didn't celebrate them, if, the, if Easter and Christmas were actually cancelled one year? I think we'd probably think that that was a pretty stupid thing to do. Well, today is Pentecost, which actually I would argue is the third important festival of the Christian church in the year. Um, and also central to what it means to be a Christian. But the, the world doesn't celebrate Pentecost. They don't really know anything about it. But that doesn't mean that that we shouldn't. So today we are celebrating the birth of the church. So happy birthday, church. Let me just set the scene for you before I read the, um, the, the first Pentecost for us. So Pentecost is a Jewish festival and it is celebrated 50 days after Passover. It's sometimes referred to as the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks. And the Passover that we're thinking about today is the Passover, the Last Supper, which we've actually also just celebrated by doing communion together. Traditionally, it's seen as the day that Moses received the law. And it's the equivalent of a bank holiday. So no work is done on that day. We've just enjoyed some bank holidays, haven't we? All male Jews were required to attend the festival in Jerusalem. So there would have been Jews, and we know this from our Bible passage, from many nations that came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. It would have been crowded with with, um, people from all over the place. So I'm going to read for you now from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. It's a passage that I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So it all started with a promise. Several hundred years earlier from this Pentecost, we read in Joel chapter 2, 28, 29, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is a passage that Peter refers to when he addresses the crowd after the events that we've just read in here. So there was the promise from several hundred years earlier. And we also read in John's Gospel, chapters 14, 15 and 16, Jesus had already told his followers that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to help them. The NIV calls the Spirit the Advocate, but in other translations, it's referred to, he's referred to as the Helper, the Comforter, the Companion. So Jesus had also referred to the Spirit that was, he'd promised. And 10 days before Pentecost, on Jesus' Ascension Day, he told the disciples to wait. And we read in Acts 1, this is what Jesus said to them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So we know that there was a group of about 120 believers and they were waiting in Jerusalem as they'd been instructed. And they'd already had the promise that the Holy Spirit was coming. Jesus was not expecting them to evangelise simply on the basis of their life experience or their own understanding of the religious laws and teachings. And even after spending three years with Jesus, he knew that that was not going to be enough for them to be able to do the work that they'd been called to. Instead, Jesus told them to wait, to wait for the power, to wait for the anointing, to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And once they had the power, they would be ready to go. But until that power came, they needed to wait. I imagine they were expectant. I imagine they were nervous. And I imagine that they were impatient. When I was pregnant with our youngest son, Ellis, he was 10 days overdue. And they were the longest 10 days of my life. So I know that waiting 10 days for anything can be really tough. But I knew that that baby was coming. I knew that there would be a promise of a baby. So it made the waiting a little bit easier. So even though the few days seemed like a lifetime, I knew that I was waiting for something amazing to happen. And I imagine that's what the disciples felt as well. So let's think about how they were waiting. And I'm thinking about their their posture, let's use that word. And I don't mean the way they placed their bodies, whether they were sitting or standing or kneeling, but I mean the attitude of their hearts. We're told in Acts, we've just read it, they were all together in one place. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were just physically together in one place. It also means that they were of one mind, of one opinion, with one accord, some translations say. They were united in their beliefs. And Acts 1 verse 14 tells us they were joined together constantly in prayer. They were studying scripture. They were focusing on God. They were not waiting around, doing other stuff. They were completely focused on God and what they needed to be doing. What are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? And how are you waiting? 
In this day and age, we expect things to happen instantly, to have instant gratification. That's the kind of the, the, the time we're living in. So it's hard when we have to wait. Whatever it is you're waiting for, how long are you prepared to wait? 10 days? 10 weeks? 10 months? 10 years? And what is your posture? Are you praying constantly like these disciples or just sometimes when it suits you or you remember? Are you reading God's word regularly and coming together with other believers to learn and to grow and to fellowship? Are you trying to change the outcome while you wait? While I waited to give birth to my son 17 years ago, those 10 days, I tried everything I could to get that labour going, eating pineapple, eating curry, driving over bumps, you name it. I was not prepared to wait very, very well. And I tried to change the outcome a little bit, but it didn't work because he still kept me waiting 10 days. But the believers were in the right posture. They were united, they were praying, they were studying the scripture, and they were expectant. And they trusted in the promise that they had got from Jesus. They were ready to receive. And once they were ready, then came the power of God and he sent his Holy Spirit. And first, we read in verse 2 that they hear the sound of the Holy Spirit. It says, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I know for a long time, I thought, I misread this passage, and I thought there was an actual wind, and I imagined blowing shutters and blowing curtains and blowing clothes, but it is just a sound. There's nothing to see. It's just the sound of a wind. Outside our bedroom, we have a Velux window in the roof, and you can hear the sound of the rain on it. So when we're tucked up in bed and the curtains are closed and the door is shut, we know if it's raining outside because we can hear the sound of the rain. And if I heard the rain on the Velux and then I opened the curtains and saw no rain, I would be really, um, I don't know what I'd be, but I'd, I'd, I'd be really stunned, I think, that there was no rain. I would expect to see rain because I could hear it, but there was no wind to see. It was just the sound. And the sound was obviously, the, this, this sound is the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word ruach literally means breath, or wind, and it's the word that is used in the Old Testament to represent the Holy Spirit. The second verse in the Bible says this, Genesis 1 verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit, or the Ruach of God, was hovering over the waters, the breath of God was there. And it's the same word that's used when Ezekiel prophesied over a valley of dry bones and brought them back to life. In Ezekiel 37 verse 6, it says, I will put breath or ruach in you and you will come to life. I will put breath, spirit in you and you will come to life. So the very breath of God was in this house with those believers. God was about to create something new as he did in Genesis and he was about to bring something to life as he prophesied in Ezekiel. After the sound, 
of the Holy Spirit came the visible sign of the Holy Spirit. Because we all like to see proof, right? So the disciples got proof too. Verse 3 tells us, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Nothing was actually burning here, as far as we know. It was like Moses' burning bush at Horeb, which appeared to be on fire, but nothing was actually burning. So nothing was getting burned. But fire, the the vision of fire, the picture of fire, speaks of purging. It speaks of burning away what's not needed, what's not good. Everything that prevents us from becoming what God created us to be. Fire also speaks of refining, like in the smelting process where we extract metal from its ore. We make it very, very hot and fire burns off the dross and brings out the pure metal. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 25 says, I will burn away your dross completely. I will remove all your impurities. So the fire of the Holy Spirit makes us more righteous, it makes us more holy, it makes us more like Jesus. And then we see the miracle of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That must have been quite something to behold. And maybe it was a bit scary. When I was about 15, my, let's call it Sunday school youth group, uh, decided, the leaders decided it would be a great idea to take us on a tour of some other churches around Norwich. And it was a really great idea. And we went to different churches. We went to the Roman Catholic Cathedral. We went to the Salvation Army Citadel. And we also went to a church which was very Pentecostal, very lively, Not what we'd been used to because we were from a United Reformed church, a nice quiet church in Norwich. And when we walked in, there was lively worship. People were raising their hands in worship. We'd never seen that before and we were getting a little bit nervous about that. And then during the service, there was a moment where people started to talk in tongues and we felt completely overwhelmed. And actually, our youth leaders told, basically picked us up and took us out because we were all starting to get really quite scared about what was going on. We didn't understand what we were seeing. I'd never received any teaching about speaking in tongues. I'd never known anything. I'd never known anything like it. It was really quite scary. So we left. Fortunately, I've learned a bit more since then. So I'm not so scared anymore. I'm not scared at all. But the people here It says in in Acts, they were amazed, they were perplexed, and they were bewildered. And maybe some of them were a little bit scared as well. They asked, what does this mean? And they tried to explain it away by saying, well, they've had too much wine, implying that the people were drunk and that was the reason for it. They didn't understand or maybe they just didn't believe what they'd seen because they'd never seen anything like it before. It was brand new. And when God does something new, it can be scary and make us feel overwhelmed. And we might not understand what's happening. But we shouldn't simply dismiss it when we don't understand. What I've learned over my years of being a Christian is with God, you need to expect the unexpected. 
I think what we see here in this passage in Acts, there's two things going on. The first is that we see the Holy Spirit ministering to the believers, filling them, empowering them, giving them boldness and giving them courage. That was the first thing. And the second thing is that we also see that people from every nation under heaven heard the gospel in their own language. So the Spirit was doing something in the believers and also in the people that were witnessing it. If you just pop the slide on for me. This slide shows Jerusalem there and all those people, those long names that I pronounced earlier on, that's where the people were coming from. So what started as a small group following a Jewish rabbi, on this day what we know is Peter preached a sermon after all of this going on and people from all over, you can see on the slide, heard that sermon and 3,000 people accepted his message and were baptised that day. And they took the gospel back to those communities and those regions. So at this point, a multicultural church was established and burst forth into the world as all those people that had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost then went back with the good news out into their regions. So just a quick recap of what we've said so far, that the G- Jesus had told the believers to wait in Jerusalem. It wasn't their destination, though. This was just their starting point. Everything that they'd previously known under Jewish law, all the tradition and the structure, was about to be stripped away. God poured out his spirit on them to empower them to carry out what he'd called them to do. But what does that mean for us today. So we've mentioned Christmas and Easter, but for those events, those times in the year, we're merely spectators. We watch as the miraculous and wonderful events um, unravel before us, if you like. But at Pentecost, God calls us to be participants, to get actively involved in the work of salvation and redemption. Jesus hands over responsibility to us to get the job done, to proclaim the good news, to heal the sick, to help the poor. All of that, he hands over responsibility to us. But the good news is we don't have to do it alone because he sent the Holy Spirit to help us. In the same way that God was equipping the believers on that day of Pentecost, he equips us exactly the same. Peter explained that when we first become believers, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says in Acts 2, Peter replied, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it might not feel like you have the Holy Spirit in you if you're a believer but if God promises it, it is true. The Holy Spirit is what makes the Christian life possible. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't even come close to living the life that God has called us to. It would just be too difficult. And we'll experience the Holy Spirit in two ways, similar to what was going on on the day of Pentecost. 
inwardly as we mature as disciples. And this is a lifelong process. Just as you think you've learned something, you realise you haven't really learned it at all and you've got a long way to go. But the Holy Spirit dwelling within us gives us courage to live a counterculture life. We live in a tricky world where there is all sorts of things to trip us up and ways of life that we will find difficult to go against, potentially. The Holy Spirit helps us to learn and obey Jesus' commands. We can do that by coming to church. We can do that by reading the Bible. We can do that by chatting and fellowshipping with other Christians. The Holy Spirit convicts us when we're not living righteous and holy lives. That little voice inside that says, should you really be doing that? The Holy Spirit guides and empowers us to be transformed. The process of sanctification, I love that word, which basically means becoming more like Jesus. Again, a lifelong process, which would be impossible without the Holy Spirit. So that's some of the inward ways that the Holy Spirit um, helps us. Outwardly, he helps us as well by giving us boldness to share our faith with others so that they can hear the good news and be changed. Just like those Jews that had come to Jerusalem went out with the good news. And that's how the gospel spread throughout the world, because of them on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is such an amazing thing and such a big topic. We could probably have a year's worth of messages just on the Holy Spirit. We haven't got time for that today. But... On this Pentecost, what we can see is that there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was the promise of the gift for everyone who believes in Jesus. And the book of Acts goes on to tell us about miracles, signs and wonders performed by the disciples because of the Holy Spirit. And we, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, can also expect to see miracles, signs and wonders if that's what we want, if that's what we're seeking. Because it's the same Holy Spirit living in us and at work in us today. We always have the Holy Spirit living in us if we're believers, whether we feel it or not, as I've said. I sometimes like to refer to him as a little bit of a pilot light. So there's always a tiny little pilot light, whether you feel it or not. Sometimes the flame is bigger and sometimes it's smaller. But we can and we should always ask to be filled again. So we're going to do that now with our Come Holy Spirit spot. So I would encourage you to adopt a physical posture, however you like. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can put your hands up, down, wherever you want. And we're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. We're going to ask to be filled afresh. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your life. Maybe you need boldness and courage to share your faith with others. Maybe you need discipline to keep good habits in prayer, reading the Bible. Maybe you need more love for those around you, especially those who are difficult to love. Maybe you need a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And how much he loves you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. 
and that you dwell in each of us. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know what each of us needs before we even say it. Pray that you would come and fill us afresh, Lord. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill us so that we overflow, Father.